Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we are going to be talking about sex today. Okay? So, right up front, I just want to let you know, just want to let you know that there is some sexual content in today's sermon. I figure I should say that up front. Sam doesn't ever warn us. He just comes at you. <laughs> I want to warn because I know I see that people have brought kids today, and so I, I'm not, I'm, I am actually a prude, okay? Um, and people who've been around me for a while know that in the pulpit, I try to be a, a very tame on this subject matter because it embarrasses me and it embarrasses you, okay? And so um, w- w- I'm going to be, I'm going to say what the Bible says, okay? I'm going to say what the Bible says. I'm going to explain what the Bible is saying by using verse references, okay? Uh, so I'm not going to go beyond that and uh, I'm not going to, you know, be a pervert, okay? Just want to make sure you guys know that up front. So I'll let you make the decision about whether or not you want your 10-year-old to be in here today or not. I, th- I know that some people were pulling kids out of the service because they're talking about Sodom down the street, right? There's like getting hit in both directions. As they brought their kid down here, they thought it was safe. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not as safe. We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So, so far in 1 Corinthians, we've been discussing the dysfunction that churches can face when the members aren't unified under the authority of, of God and his doctrines, his teachings. Okay, what happens in a church when they're not unified under the truth of God's word? And what we've come to realize is that a lot of church life, a lot of church life, just like what we do together, requires us preferring others over ourselves, doesn't it? Don't you know that about ministry? Don't you know that about church? That that part of being a, a member of this body is choosing to put other people over you. If it's always about you, you will never get what you're supposed to get out of ministry and serving the Lord. And so we can cure a lot of the dysfunction in our church by choosing to put other people over ourselves. That's a really big deal. That's one of the things that we've looked at. Now, most recently, we've been talking about the fact that a Christian's body doesn't actually belong to them, right? Last time we were together in chapter six, we addressed this issue that your body doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to God. It's been bought by by the price of Jesus Christ's blood, and it's been branded, set apart to do his work. And the point is that we might be able to, as God's children, yield a benefit to his increase, to his kingdom, that we might be beneficial to God. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christian, but there's very few of those people who put themselves in a position where they are beneficial to the work of God's ministry. Now this week, and over the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about Marriage and relationships, okay, as well as singleness. There's a lot of singleness stuff happening in this chapter too. So I think we're going to hit uh, on, on every place where everybody's at. Uh, we're going to discover lots of important truths about the missional dynamics of one's marital status, how God can use you uh, based on whether you're married or single, okay? We're going to be covering that a lot over the next few weeks. Now, Here's a question for you because I've been trying to start all these sermons with a question. Here's our question for today. How do I deliberately guard myself from sexual sin? How do I deliberately guard myself against sexual sin? Big question, isn't it? Considering the fact that in our world um, today, uh, sexual content Explicit sexual content is available at every turn. At every opportunity, you're being faced um, with the choice, the decision 
of whether or not to engage in prohibited lustful activity or not. Now, you, you, you'll find that in your relationships with one another. You're going to find that on Instagram, right? You're going to find it everywhere you go. You're going to find yourself being tempted to do things that you know are not right. Now, we're going to address that today, and we're going to talk specifically about avoiding that. The, the name of today's sermon, as you may have seen already, is The Dynamics of Marriage and Singleness, but um, the subtitle would probably be Avoiding Fornication. Avoiding Fornication would be a good subtitle for today's sermon. Let's pray, and then we'll get right into it. I'm sorry that it's hot in here. We have not yet been able to figure out how to make this room cool, so uh, I apologize for that. But uh, you know what? There are brothers and sisters that are meeting in 110-degree weather under trees this morning. So I think that we can handle it, you know? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. And um, God, today, um, I think, especially as we look at your word, for many of us in this room, it's going to require us being very honest about what we sang a moment ago. There's a lot of people in the room this morning that need to lay things down at the cross, at your feet, and we need to to give up. Um, We need you to make something beautiful of us, and the only way to do that is to allow your word purge us of areas that are unclean before you. I mean, holiness is a work. You've, You've explained that to us time and time again in this book itself, is that holiness is a work, sanctification is a work, that requires repentance and discipline before you, saying yes to you and no to the world. And so, Lord, I, I pray that today that, that people would choose not to be offended or disappointed or frustrated, but they would choose to just say yes, to look at your word and say, yes, I, I see what God, the creator of the universe, is saying about my life, and yes, yes, I'll, I'll obey that. So that's going to require your help. And that's going to require the peace of your spirit and the convicting power of your spirit. And so we invite that today. And we trust you with this time in your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read starting in verse 1. Now, concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves the fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. So let's look here at verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 1, and let's start to unpack this a little bit. All right, you guys with me? It's, it's tougher when it's warm and humid. It's tougher. Okay? Got to stay with me. Because I don't want to have to yell. Like halfway through the sermon, if I notice that people are nodding out, that's when, if you wonder why pastors yell a lot, it's because they see you. They see your eyes. Okay? Closing. Um, So let's start here at the beginning of verse 1. Now, concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. Now, here we're learning that much of the remainder of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth is going to be rooted in questions that they submitted to him. In other words, at some point along the way, via letter, quite possibly, or messenger, they reached out to Paul and they said, hey man, we've got some questions about stuff and we need you to shed light on these things. We need doctrine to help us better navigate what it looks like to be a Christian in this world. So they're a confused church, but a church with a conscience nonetheless, right? They want to know what's right so they can do what's right. I think that's more than what many churches and many Christians can say about themselves. Okay? They don't care whether or not they know what's right because they're not going to do what's right anyway. They're going to do what they think is right in their own mind and in their own heart. Right? At least the church, as confused as the church in Corinth is, and we know from previous chapters, it's pretty confusing. Right? 
as confused as they are, they want to do what's right. And so they're asking questions. And so they submit their requests. And Paul was faithful to respond by providing them with critical doctrine necessary for moving forward in their faith. And here we're going to discover that they had questions about marriage and singleness. Who doesn't, right? I mean, I'm looking at a room full of people with questions about marriage and singleness. Now, at this time in Corinth, you've got to remember that there was a prevalence of Gnostic teachers. Now, we talked about this, that in Corinth, they had these, these different philosophers, these schools of philosophy, and these Gnostic teachers, which, which were essentially mystics, okay? And you could um, ascribe to one of these mystics' teaching. And they would provide you with hidden information and philosophical knowledge. And you could follow them around. They were like gurus. Now, two of the most prevalent teachings at the time in Corinth included this idea of, of, uh, you know, there was different schools of this. But it was a form of hedonism that said that you needed to get all the pleasure you possibly could out of life. And that included sexual promiscuity because, well, sex feels good. And so you should be doing as much of that as possible. And as we talked about before in Corinth, there were actually temples of worship that you could go to to participate in sexual acts before the gods. Okay? Jack, right? But that's part of their culture. And that's seeping into the church. And so this idea of promiscuity was a part of who they were. It was a part of their social dynamic. You understand? Now, there was also a school of teachers that also taught that everything of the flesh was completely wicked. And they were telling people that you shouldn't get married, and if you're married, you definitely shouldn't have sex. Can you imagine that? Okay? I don't think there's anybody in here that subscribes to that way of thinking. Okay? But that was going on, and so these people were in these marriage relationships that were completely dysfunctional, and these philosophical teachings were making their way into the church, and it was causing confusion. It was causing confusion. Now, the world's ideas on marriage and sexuality in 2022, have also infiltrated the contemporary church. What the world thinks about marriage and singleness has made its way into the church. And rather than listening to what the word of God says, we are listening to the the multiplicity of voices that surround us, and we're bringing that nonsense in here. So a message like this is absolutely critical. This letter to the church in Corinth has great relevance for us today. And we've got to make a choice, just like we were praying a moment ago. We've got to make a decision right now. We will either obey God or man. We will either follow the philosophies of our world, or we will choose to look at the Bible as the divine text that it is and say to ourselves, no, you know what? Despite how I feel, despite what I've been taught, despite my culture, despite all of the d- dynamics, the social dynamics around me, I choose to obey what this book says. Why? Because I know that it glorifies God. So we're going to try to address some of these issues that are even creeping uh, their way into to the church today. We're going to try to address those in this chapter as we move forward. So let's look here at verse 1 again. Now concerning the things whereof you, you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Whoa. Okay, that seems extreme, doesn't it? What the heck is he talking about? What does that mean? Don't even touch a woman? I mean, I'm pretty confident I hugged like six or seven women before I stepped into the pulpit today, okay? I shook some people's hands, some touching, okay? So what does it mean? What does it mean when he says touch? Well, we'll find out in the context that that what we're talking about is Touch is, has a sexual component to it, right? The type of touch that promotes sexual relationship. And this, this word touch means exactly what we believe it to mean, okay? It's just one of our five senses. It's just the, the act of physically feeling something, clinging to something, coming in contact with something is to touch it, right? But the context itself shows us that this touch is a type of touch that promotes sexual relationship. Now, before we get into all that, I want to take a moment to point out the fact that the New Testament uses this Greek word touch, touched, 
Okay? Haptomai is what it is. It shows up 36 times in your New Testament. 36 times. And of those 36 times, the first 32 instances of this word is Jesus touching people. 32 of the 36 times when we look at this word in our New Testament, we find them in the Gospels, and it's always Christ, always Christ, touching people or people touching Christ. I thought that was incredible and worth noting. Why? Why is that important to us? Our sadness. Anybody ever feel sad? Our need for healing, our need for intimacy, they're all being satisfied in the touch of God. They're all being satisfied in coming in contact with Jesus Christ himself. And despite the fact that he's invisible, that we worship an invisible savior, despite that fact, he has the ability to touch our hearts and the depths of our soul. He can reach into our lives and touch us even today, even now. And we have a God, we worship a God that loves to to touch our hearts, to come in contact with us, to meet with us. And I think it's really important to note that. I think it's important to know that every time that my oily fingers touch the surface of these pages and they degradate, these pages degradate year over year as I come in contact, as my tears fall on the pages, each time I come in contact with this book, I come in contact with the touch of God. It's powerful and it has the power to heal and it has the power to turn sadness into joy. And we need to know that. That of all of these 36 times in scripture, anytime we see this word touch, 32 of those times, is people touching Jesus. I just love that. Now four of these times, four of these instances of touch, one of them is here in our passage today, um, they all are prohibitions. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. A prohibition on touch. Colossians 2, 21, touch not, taste not, handle not. 1 John 5, 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. In each of these instances, we have prohibitions in touch, on touch. And I want to point something out that I also think is important and worth noting. What I can learn from, the, from, from studying these instances of touch in Scripture is that only four are prohibitions, meaning that the other 32 are invitations. The other 32 instances are invitations. And I think a lot of people want to see God as a God of prohibition. That God is always telling me what I can't do. That the Bible is, is somehow putting me in, a, in bondage to what it says, and it's keeping me from the things that I want. And I think that we need to remember that our God is not a God of, of prohibition, though he does have prohibitions. He's a God of relationship. He's a God of knowing. He's a God of love. He wants, to, he wants you to encounter him, and he wants to encounter you. That's really important. That's, that's worth noting. And so while God does say, do not touch and do not do these things, the majority of our scripture is a love letter inviting you into relationship with him. And if you love him, you will obey his commandments. If you actually love Jesus Christ and you care about him, then you will obey him. I tell my kids that all the time. Show me that you love me. When I ask you to do this thing, do what I ask you to do. Because if you actually care about me, then you're going to care about what I have to say and what my opinions are. You're going to want to obey me. And God feels that way towards us. Adam and Eve had everything in the garden. Everything. Everything. The whole world was at their fingertips, running around naked. Running around. Just naked. Eating food. It just basically just grew itself. Kicking it with lions. I mean, I don't even like the zoo. Right? I don't, even, I don't want to be within 100 yards of a lion. 
They're romping around naked with lions and that, you know, tigers. The Garden of Eden, Eden was a beautiful, beautiful place. It had one prohibition. I mean, God said, look at all this. I've give, look at all this that I've given you. This tree do not eat. And you know why that tree was there? I mean, well, why, why would God put the tree there at all then? Because he loves the fact that he's given you a free will. He loves the fact that he's given you choice in life. You shouldn't have to love God robotically. You, you shouldn't be constrained to love him by force. He wants to always give you an option of you doing what you want to do. And I think we need to understand that. I think we need to understand that, that while there are prohibitions on our life, the joy of our life is serving the Lord, and he's given us way more blessings and way more opportunity and way more joy than he's given us prohibition. It's a joy to serve him, and it's a joy to say no to things that I shouldn't have. So our God is a God of liberty and freedom, which leads us to our first key point, okay? Lay hold on Christ. Lay hold on Christ. Why? Because there's liberty and there's healing there. Lay hold on him and refuse to hold on to lust because there's pain and destruction there. Lay hold on Christ because it's only good, because he loves you, because he wants to touch you, because he wants to encounter you, because he cares for you, because he wants to make you whole. He wants to set you free. He wants to give your life purpose. Lay hold on him. And refuse to lay hold on lustful things because ultimately it'll only bring you pain. I mean, look, look at the lives of the people that you know. Maybe look at your own life. Whenever you've had exactly what you want or you've pursued exactly what you want, how does that end? Refuse to hold on to lust. That's going to be something that, that we cover over and over again. So, so it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Okay, now we still haven't quite addressed this yet, but it's actually simple. Touch here, contextually, is an invitation to lust. A sensory encounter that promotes sex outside of marriage. It's a specific kind of touch. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's a certain kind of, of, of touch. And so here's our next key point. It's very simple. Say it's, it's ABCs today, okay? Avoid fornication by keeping your freaking hands, your filthy hands, to yourself, Keep your hands to yourself. That's, how, that's one way of avoiding fornication is to keep your hands to yourself. Now, this is not a prohibition of greetings, okay? It, you know, there's an appropriate way for brothers and sisters to hug each other and to embrace and to love each other, just like family. Every day, we ought to, we're, a, we're a huggy church. We ought to do that. And if the culture was right, we'd, you know, we'd greet each other with a kiss is what the Bible says, you know? People aren't really into that, so we don't do that here. We greet each other with hugs. And when it's appropriate, it's appropriate. So it's not, it's not preventing us from that kind of encounter. Rather, it's warning that there are certain types of touch the one ought to avoid because they absolutely lead to sexual compromise. Okay. Next slide. This is Mitch and Rhonda Medlin. Touching each other. Um, some of you guys may know Mitch and Rhonda. Maybe some of you don't. Mitch and Rhonda, at a very critical point in my life, uh, basically took me in, and they became spiritual parents to me. Okay, so when I was about 16 years old, I was lost. I was on the precipice. I was about to dive headlong into a life of sin. Now, I was saved, but I was living carnally, and uh, my life wasn't, wasn't right, and I was right there on the edge and God brought them into my life at a perfect time. And so the remainder of high school, I basically lived at their house. I was there all the time. And they taught me a lot about the Bible and about what it means to follow Christ. It, they, they changed my entire life, okay? So these people mean the whole world to me. As ridiculous as the one on the right is. <laughs> He's a ridiculous human being. And I'm going to... You'll know because here's a quote. Here's a quote from Mitch Medlin that he used to share with me. When I was 16, 17 years old, he used to say this all the time, okay? And so I want to share it with you. It goes like this. 
First, you start by holding hands. And you like it. You like it. Holding hands is good. Then you start kissing. I'm even saying it like Mitch would. And then you start a kissing. And you like it. And then you start touching each other, and you like that too. Next thing you know, you have a baby, and your life is over. (laughs) Now, Mitch is known for oversimplifying things, okay? But I want to tell you, this is kind of how it goes. We want to make it more complicated, but this this is kind of it. This is kind of the path that it goes. And so we have to recognize there's something to this do not touch thing. Because there are types of touching that lead you down a path that isn't glorifying to God. We just saw this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but I think it's worth noting again. Verse 18, it says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So Paul is telling us, if you want to avoid lustful thoughts and behaviors, if you want to keep from falling into sexual sin, then keep your filthy hands off each other. Right? Makes pretty good sense. Pretty straightforward. If you're single, listen, which is the majority of this ministry, then there are boundaries that need to be established. You need to establish boundaries, whether you're in a dating relationship or not. I mean, especially if you're in one, but, you know, I don't think those, and I don't think those boundaries need to be any greater than what the word of God tells us. Any greater than just knowing that it's not good to touch in a way that promotes lust. If you just know that, then that's good enough. Now, I've often given advice because when people enter into dating relationships, they do find themselves being tempted in this way. Right? In ways that they weren't previously. And so, you know, when we're talking about this concept, I often uh, will, will say that there's at least two places that you want to avoid. Okay? Now, you guys know, right? I should, I should probably... Cars and couches, y'all. Cars and couches is where this kind of touching goes on. So stay out of the car of your girlfriend or boyfriend... You can meet each other places, but listen to me. You know how it is. Oh, I was just dropping her off, you know. I was dropping her off, I was just saying goodnight. We were just watching a movie. We are just, you know, on the couch. I mean, listen, y'all, you're, you're freaks. <laughs> okay, it's okay. God made you that way because... I'm being serious. God built in us a desire for that kind of relationship. But listen to me. Everything, everything ought to be bridled. And what what God says is that this is how we bridle ourselves from doing things that are just destructive, destructive for our lives. So we have to be careful. We have to be mindful. We have to avoid situations where Satan can tempt you. And if you got to break up, you got to break up. I mean, I know that's hard to hear. But if the dating relationship isn't glorifying to God and you know that you're going to constantly find yourself in a situation where you can't help yourself but to touch, well, you're better off breaking up. Being single is okay with God. We're going to address this a lot in this chapter. Being single is okay. And God has special grace for single people. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after his manner, after this manner, another after that. The apostle Paul was single, and he was like, man, if you can remain single, man, God's got so much grace for that. that. He wants to use you mightily in your singleness. Think about it for a second. We'll come back to this later on in the chapter. But think about how free the single people in our ministry are. The way they get to go on mission trips, like I'm jealous for that. I, I love that, that so many of you, because you're, not, you're so untethered, you can just say, you know what, I'm going to Laramie next weekend. I'm just going. 
And I'm going to go help out on that trip, and I'm going to come back, and then the next opportunity that presents itself, I can just do that. I can't do that. I, I can't do that. I've got mouths to feed and kids to take to soccer practice and a house to clean. And there's things for me that get in the way where for you as a single person, man, you have complete liberty, and there's grace for you to live a single lifestyle. And you know what? For some of you, you just need to determine right now, the relationship that I'm in or the people that I, the, the, the opposite sex that I'm encountering I'm finding myself in a lustful situation. You know what? It's better off that I just be single. It's better off that I be single. We'll talk about that more here in a little bit. Let's, let's continue on. So, the, so one way of avoiding fornication, everybody's with me so far, it's real simple, is just not to touch in a way that promotes lust. The next thing, you can avoid fornication by getting married, getting hitched. Another way that God gives us liberty in our pursuit of holiness is to simply choose to get married. Verse 2, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Now, before we get into this, I want to first note, I think it's right for me to note, that it says that let every man have his own wife. And scripture time and time again reminds us that marriage is for one man and one woman. Not one man and one man, not one woman and one woman. Biological sex is gender, and gender is biological sex in Scripture. They're the same thing. There's no way of getting around that. Again, I know that in our world today, that is, that's not a very popular thing for me to declare from Scripture. But just as Sam said, Romans chapter 1 is very clear on this matter. And I choose to obey the word of God over over what I feel and what I desire. Now, now listen, I also recognize it's very difficult because in our world, gender is identity. We've, we've, forced, we've forced our gender to be our identity. We've made it so. So now we don't, we don't think of ourselves as anything else other than our gender. Well, it's because we're obsessed with sex. We're a culture obsessed with sex, and so we've gotten everything confused. Now, listen to me. I know it's hard to change your identity. When you're con you've convinced yourself that you're one thing, it's hard to change your identity. Listen. Christ wants to give you his identity. You don't need to, you don't need to be anything. You don't need to be, I don't need to be anything except for what he tells me that I am. I don't need to be known. I don't have to have my own truths. I don't have to follow my feelings. I don't have to follow my feelings. I just have to love him. And as I encounter him, as he touches my life, I will take on his identity and he'll, have, he'll give me the grace to be whatever I need to be. But scripture is clear and it's clear right here. Let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Now, what he's saying is pretty straightforward and that's this, key point. Avoid fornication by giving your hand in marriage, okay? Avoid fornication by giving your hand in marriage. Okay, obviously, just getting married is a solution for the fornication issue, isn't it? Because it's not fornicating if it's happening in the construct of a marriage, right? It's no longer prohibited. It's no longer explicit. It's now affirmed. It's affirmed by God. So if you're in a relationship where you just keep finding yourself in temptation over and over again, then God's saying, you know what? You ought to consider getting married, you freaks. <laughs> That's not KJV. Hebrews 13, 4 says this, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. So what that's saying is that in the, in the confines of a marriage relationship, that you can be as wild as you want because it's not fornication anymore, right? God, God actually loves sexual relationships within the construct of marriage. He, he, he loves that. So in this way, okay, avoiding fornication by getting married in this way, marriage is like Switzerland. Okay, so, so marriage is like Switzerland. All bets are off. You're good, right? 
You're good. Except for, except for sometimes, sometimes there's problems in marriage. A lots of times, lots of times, a couple will claim 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, because they're having a hard time dealing with temptation, right? We're having a hard time. So yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 17, let's get hitched. Let's go to Vegas. Let's go to Switzerland, okay? And they'll quote chapter 7, verse 9 even. They'll say, but if they, if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn, which is absolutely true. Y'all know what it's saying when it says burn, right? Burning, burning, seeing red, right? It's better for them to marry. What's absolutely true? It's better to marry than to be in a fornicating relationship. And so a couple will say remaining sexually pure is difficult, so we just want to get married and throw some water on that fire. Well, you're entitled to do that, but that doesn't guarantee happiness is the important thing that I need you to know. Marriage is good. It's good, but two people, no matter how attracted they are to each other, may not actually be compatible. So if you're going to commit to marriage, you better know that this person that you're going to marry is someone that you want to be with forever, not someone that you're attracted to right now, not someone that you have a fire for right now, not not someone that you are sexually desirous of right now. This better be a person that you want to spend every day with for the rest of your life. Because once you say, I do, that's a wrap. In God's mind, once you say, I do to that person, it's, it's over. You, are, you now belong to that person. And they belong to you. I've seen, uh, I've seen people marry the wrong person. Now, they're not the wrong person once they get married. That's the right person. You're done. It's donezo for you. You're married. That's how God sees it. But I've seen people marry the wrong person. Generally, people who don't share the same passions or trajectory in their faith, girls and guys marrying one another that they're attracted to, that they're burning for. But, you know, a lot of times you might be attracted to a person who hasn't been discipled, isn't involved in ministry, isn't following the Lord, and then you get married to that person. Guess what? That's now what you're doing too. You're not doing jack squat. And so I've seen, I've seen people, men and women, who are pursuing the Lord who get distracted with someone they're attracted to and then get knocked off. And they get married and then they have a family and then it's over, it's over for them. That's the, that's the whole purpose in life is one another. They lose sight because someone married the wrong person. And it's too bad. So check this out. For a man to be married to an incompatible woman can be an absolute nightmare. Solomon talks about this. Proverbs 21.9. Check this out. This is what Solomon says about a, a being married to not a great wife. This is what he says. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than, be, than, than with a brawling woman in a white house. It, in other words, it's better to go up to the roof and hide in the corner than to live in a giant house, a mansion, with a, a woman who wants to fight with you all the time. Dang. Dang. Proverbs 12.4, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. I can't even begin to explain to you what that means. <laughs> Cancer of the bones? I mean, rottenness in your bones, that's like the core of your core is your bones. But man, you can marry the wrong woman. And women can marry the wrong men too. To be married to the wrong man can be a nightmare. Remember Abigail and Nabal? 1 Samuel chapter 25, 3 says this. Now the name of the man was Nabal, this is describing this couple, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish, which means hard-headed, and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And the way this story goes is that, that Nabal is a complete jerk, total jerk, and he puts his wife in compromising situations. This is just not good. He's a terror to her. You can marry the wrong person. But here's the deal. You might be able to marry the wrong person, but once you're married, they're, they're the right person. You've said those vows and you're done. And I've, I've married people who were burning for each other, okay? And they claimed this, I'm telling you, and they claimed this passage. And they said, we have to get married. 
And I've married them because I have, I follow the word of God. I've married them. They want to be married. This is what the word of God says. I can't prohibit them. They get married. A year later, they're divorced. A year later. Because they were, they were these types of people to one another. They were not compatible. They didn't actually want to obey God. And it turned out disastrous. So yes, if you are burning and desire to be married, getting married will help you to, to avoid fornication. But it won't make you more spiritually mature. You will do, be just as immature in marriage as you were single and dating. Marriage might be Switzerland. It might be a sexual asylum. But it doesn't mean your problems won't follow you. Because even if you're in Switzerland, right, it doesn't mean your crimes against America aren't still outstanding. Right? And so... It's not like your proclivity for sin is going to disappear simply because you get married. It doesn't make your porn addiction go away. It doesn't make your lustful eyes stop looking at people that you're not married to. It's not like your mind all of a sudden changes. Because here's the deal. Even if you throw water on the fire, sometimes there are embers that still burn. And so it's not the fix. It would be better to break up and avoid that person than force yourself and them into a relationship that, that harms both of your relationships with God. It would be better to break up than to, than to push and move forward in a relationship that you know ultimately will harm both of you. Because again, listen to me. We're talking about fleshly people. Okay, let's back up for a second. I just want to make sure you understand. I'm not, none of us are righteous. We all have flesh and we're all messed up. Sometimes people just aren't good for each other because they promote sin in one another. And the best thing to do is just to break up until you're mature enough to have a relationship where you're not constantly tempted to do things that you shouldn't. But what if, a, what if I'm already married to that person? What if I'm already married to Nabal? Or what if I'm already married to that woman that makes me want to hide on the rooftop? Well, the good news is there's hope. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to get to it, not today, but talks about what to do when you're in a relationship with someone who you're not like-minded with, when you're not equally yoked. When you're not both pursuing God, maybe, maybe you want to pursue the Lord, but your spouse is struggling. That's a really, really tough position to be in. But you're there. And maybe you're frustrated, and maybe you're sad, and maybe you're depressed about it. But there's hope. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the good news is it's going to help us understand that better when we get there. So to avoid fornication, we ought to keep our hands off each other, Right? To avoid fornication, we, we should get married. People should get married. married mar being married is good, okay? But then also, once you're in a marriage relationship, avoid fornication by having a healthy sex life, okay? Guys, you know, you know how much I hate talking about this. <laughs> uh, it's hot in here. <laughs> So now once you're in a marriage relationship, that doesn't mean there will no longer be temptation. Getting married doesn't always mean that you aren't capable of sexual sin within your marriage. Sometimes, like we said before, you throw hot water on it, the embers are still burning. But, 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 God has given us principles, principles to help us. So here's the next key point. Avoid fornication by having a healthy sexual relationship with your spouse. Now don't shut off singles because one day you'll be married and these are things that you need to know. These are things that you need to consider. Okay. So we're going to talk about it. Three, three different points. Three different things that you need to consider when, you're, when you are trying to avoid, avoid fornication. And then, like what we're talking about here is an adulterous relationship or going back to that porn habit or, or whatever it is that you're struggling with. There are principles to help you become spiritually mature and avoid lustful activity, <laughs> lustful thoughts. And, they, and, and Paul gives them to us right here. Verse 3. The first thing is that we need to be generous. 
Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Okay, what does that mean? Well, sex and marriage should be consistent and regular. It should happen often. This is very practical, isn't it? You guys, am I embarrassing you? This is like the dad talk, isn't it? (sighs) Dad's talking about sex again. I'm sorry, but we need to have this conversation because if you don't learn it here, you're gonna learn it somewhere else. In your marriage relationship, it's important that you regularly have sex. That's it. That's all I have to say about that. No, no. So, so when your wife or husband want sex, you should be inclined to engage. Now, a lot of you are thinking to yourselves, like, that'll never happen. Okay, when I'm married, we'll want to, for sure, we're going to want to have sex all the time. But that's not how it works, especially as you get older. Some of these old folks, man, they're lucky if it's like once a month, some of these folks. Right? And it's because their mindset changes and their desires change and their, their, their passions change and, and things are altered. But the thing is here, here's the deal. In a marriage relationship, you should be inclined, both of you, to want to have sex. And so when your wife brings it up or when your husband brings it up, you know, you run upstairs and you do it. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. I don't know how to talk about this. <laughs> it's very difficult for me. I feel like Eric up here. Does anybody have a napkin? Okay, so there, there, may, be, there may be reasons for taking a night or two off. I'm going to need that. Um, but uh, as a general rule, healthy couples have lots of sex. Healthy relationships, healthy couples. I mean, there's lots of statistics about this, but couples that regularly have sex... Um, are less likely to divorce. So be generous. Be generous in that way in in your relationship, and it'll help you. It'll protect you, and it'll help you avoid fornication. The next thing is, number two, be yielded to one another. Be yielded to to one another. The wife hath not power of her own body. Okay, now that's like, that is a hot statement right now, isn't it? Goodness gracious. I mean, I read that, I'm like, ugh. I feel like CNN's gonna fall out of the sky and crush me. (laughs) The wife hath not power of her own body, but check this out, but the husband, in other words, the husband has power over his wife's body. But, uh, 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 and likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now, here's the point. You belong to one another. And in a sexual relationship, you ought to prefer that other person over yourself you got to put that person and their needs and their wants over your own. Now, you guys, you know, when you're married, though, you've got to be able to talk through this stuff, okay? Because sometimes she actually does have a headache, and you got to respect that, all right? you got to be kind. you got to love one another. you got to prefer each other, and so your needs don't go over the other person, and their needs don't go over you. You, you work together. You yield to one another to make sure that your sexual relationship is healthy. Okay. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 says this. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. Now, go, now, that's interesting. That's an interesting connection to the rottenness of bones. Interesting. Just saying. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave, touch, lay hold, cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. Marriage makes two people one. And if one person has different sexual objectives than the other, then it will promote division. So you've got to yield to one another. This is an opportunity for a husband to yield to his wife and for a wife to yield to her husband. There is no his way or her way. It's only our way. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. This This is what health teachers feel like. Right? Your gym teacher is like, all right, guys, it's talk about sex week. (laughs) Remember that? That was terrible. Old, crusty guy. (laughs) 
And they got those books that they only use once a year. And they have little drawings of penises all over them. <laughs> they do. What was up with high school boys? You guys remember that? It's your math book, just in the math book for no reason, just right there. <laughs> Next sent algorithm. Sorry, guys, I have to make jokes. It's the only way to get through this. Okay. The third thing, number three, don't, don't be withholding. Don't be withholding. Verse five, defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves a fasting of prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So, so what this is saying is don't stop having sex. Now, there, he makes provision here for seasons of prayer and fasting. Okay, now I've never had one of those seasons of prayer and fasting uh, to, that's kept me from having sex. Okay, now I'm going too far. I told Eva I'd not bring us into this. But, but I guess that's a thing. And so there might be reasons, spiritual reasons, to say for a season like, hey, let's both, let's take a break this week and let's fast and pray to the Lord. There might be reasons to do that. But then what Paul says is, well, you better come back together real quick. Once that fast ends, come back together real quick because... If you, if you don't continue to have sex, you're going to be tempted. And you don't want to be tempted. You don't want to be tempted to look at people that you shouldn't look at. You don't want to be tempted to think in ways that you shouldn't think. God gave you that woman and God gave you that man. And you ought to devote yourselves to one another. And one of the ways that you do that is sexual, physical relationship. Okay? That makes sense to everybody? So avoid being withholding sexually. Sometimes in counseling situations, you'll hear people basically confess that they use sex to manipulate one another. You'll hear this. I was so mad at him, so I wouldn't have sex with him. Dang. Listen, all, there's marriage, there are Christian marriages, okay, where the husband and wife haven't had sex in months. That happens. And it begins, one person's angry at the other person, they're withholding for a season, and pretty soon they're just used to the idea that they don't. It's messed up. <clears throat> I've also, you know, I've seen people use sex as a, a manipulation tool. So they'll use it to, to get the thing that they want. They get, they, they'll, they'll have sex, they're willing to have sex when they get the thing that they want. And this is dangerous, guys. This is so dangerous. A married couple should, should be having sex regularly. And if they don't, it creates temptation. It creates a stumbling block that's completely unnecessary. So here's the deal. Singles, okay, to summarize, keep your hands to yourself, right? Don't, don't, don't put yourself in a position where you're, you're, gonna, you're able to compromise. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're gonna be tempted. All right, now, marriage is an escape route, okay? Sometimes it's Switzerland, but listen to me. It's not the answer to your spiritual immaturity, it's not the answer. And so sometimes instead of getting married, maybe just think about breaking up. At least until you're spiritually mature enough to keep your hands to yourself. And then once you're married, you can avoid fornication also by just having a, a healthy sexual relationship. Right? Here's what Proverbs 5.15 says, okay? Because when you're talking about sex, you've got to read a lot of Solomon. Right, it's no way around it. Proverbs 5.15. Drink waters out of thine own cistern. Is that symbolism complex to anybody? Does that make sense? Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them, let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He can see you and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. God's got a way. 
God's got a way. God's got a way for a lot of things. God has, God's got a way for your finances. God's got a way for your uh, career path. God's got a way for how you have relationships with other people, the way that you do church. God has a way. And God has a way for marriage relationships. He has a lot of opinions about the way people ought to engage with one another sexually. He has a lot of opinions about that. You know why? Because when he created man, he did it in his image. And when he created man, he said, it is good. And when he created man, he saw that that man needed help in his life. Someone to love. And he provided that. He has a right. He has a right to have an opinion about that. He's given us our bodies. He's made us who we are. He knit you in your mother's womb. He made you look the way you look. He gave you, he gave you your gender. He's got opinions about how, how you steward that. And the question is, are we going to be okay with that? Or are we going to say, oh, the God of the Bible is prohibitive, and I don't like him. I'm going to throw it out, throwing it out. Paul, those aren't Jesus' words. Those are Paul's words, and I don't have to listen to Paul. Do whatever you want to do. You, you, can, you can be violent towards the scripture all you want. That's your choice. He's given you a free will. He put, he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden for a reason. You've got a way out. But that way is destruction. So why not choose to obey the Lord? Because it's, it's only pleasure there. And I can't convince you of that. You have to discover it for yourself. So as we close today... Um, I'm going to invite Alex up, and we're going we're gonna to end with worship, a season of worship. Now listen to me. If you're dealing with sexual sin, I know it could be really difficult uh, in a setting like this. We've talked about this to, to say, well, I need to come forward. I need to talk to somebody. Um, but listen to me. I want to I make the invitation really, really broad. If you're struggling with any sort of temptation whatsoever, just go grab your Bible study leader and go somewhere private and talk about it. Can we, can we do that? Like if you're struggling, or maybe this week, you've got to make a phone call and you've got to get a hold of your Bible study leader and you've got to go to the coffee shop or you've got to go meet somewhere to have a conversation. Do what you need to do to be right with the Lord. Do whatever you need to do to be right with God. If it's, a, if it's an issue of, of, you know, pornography, if it's an issue of feelings, even if it's just lustful feelings for a coworker at work that you don't know what to do with, or someone in a class that you have. Deal with this stuff. This isn't taboo. This is life. This is life. People mess up. People make mistakes. We all have flesh. We've, we've all fallen prey to desires that are not right, that God has prohibited. Okay, so deal with them. It's okay. God loves you. His arms are open wide. He's ready to receive you, and he's ready to help make you right. Does that make sense? I'm going to pray, and then we'll worship. And You just do what you need to do. Even if you just need to sit there and pray, do that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we're grateful for you, and we know that you are, you are the way. You are the path. You are our, our purpose for being. And uh, we... We desire to obey you, even if it's crazy hard. Even if we were thinking to ourselves, I can't even get my mind around it. What would it look like for me to change my whole life? What would it, would it look like for me to have to give up an identity that I've held on to for a long time? What, what would it look like for me to give up on a relationship that is a part of me? And I don't personally in my flesh have any advice for that person except for, for to say that, God, you are so good and that you make the most impossible things simple. And you make, you make the most troubling situations and the most complex, hard, hard to fathom scenarios, you, you make them joy. Like you can make our tribulation and our difficulty just joy because you're that good. You, you died on a cross for our sins. You gave up your life. You saw us from the beginning of creation. You saw us and you knew us and you've known us. You, you've literally knit us together in, in the womb of our mother. And you've seen us from the beginning to the end. 
You know the hairs on our head. You know every tear we've ever cried. You've kept our name in a book. You know our story in and out. You know every encounter and experience we've ever had. We, you know the sexual, uh, sexual abuses that we've faced. I know that there's people in the room today that, that talking about sex is just incredibly difficult because they themselves have been abused sexually. And other people have harmed them. And other people were wicked towards them. And God, you see it. And you grieve with them. And your hand is outstretched to those who need you. And your grace is sufficient. And so Lord, I ask that whatever help people need today, that they would find that in you. And they would choose your word over their own feelings and their own desires because with you, it is only good. In Christ's name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.